Brad. Brad. Brad? Oh, sorry. No Brad this week. Another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, Team Rhino Outdoors. And I got nobody. It's just me. I'm just hanging out by myself today. I have a guest. Uh, I talked to Jeff Vandermortel, WDH Guide Service out of northern Wisconsin. Haven't had Jeff on since episode 100. And we haven't had a single episode, solo episode with Jeff in... Oh boy, I don't even know how long it's been. It's probably been since last summer sometime, so we were due. You'll notice in the first 10 minutes of the conversation, uh, audio is a little bit sketchy, mostly because Jeff's been driving. He's been all over the place. I had to kind of catch him. Uh, This was, I would say this was a little bit short notice. Brad and I have a guest lined up soon. We were planning on recording it tonight, but um brad's still fishing nonstop and building baits nonstop, so it's been pretty difficult for brad to you know get away i wasn't willing to record at 10 o'clock tonight or 11 o'clock at night we played that game for a little while longer and um yeah if i have an opportunity to go to bed sometime i would like to do that and podcasting till one in the morning is not exactly in my plans this week so dr jeff uh the conversation was Kind of about the next couple weeks, but then we kind of dive into some night fishing stuff. And like I said, if you can bear with the first 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes audio is a, just a little bit of background noise. Like I said, Jeff's driving around and, and uh, operating his business and running guide trips. And so I had a moment between guide trips. Otherwise, he said, well, if you want to wait till you know 930 tonight when the moon phase is over, 10 o'clock tonight when the moon phase is over, I can you know, try to s- squeeze something in when I'm on the water. And I'm like, yeah, that I'd rather just let him concentrate on fishing. So... That's kind of what's up for this week. If you're looking for gear for your musky fishing adventures, you can check out Musky Mayhem Tackle. That's muskymayhemtackle.com. Brad and Carrie, they have an Instagram page and a Facebook page and a YouTube channel. Um, usually Brad and or Carrie would be here every single week, and they're missing. So I'll do their part and tell you they're the uh, originators of the big bladed flashy boo bucktails. So check out Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you need other gear for musky fishing check out teamrhinooutdoors.com and we have a bunch of stuff we just recently got reloaded on spanky baits musky frenzy red october tubes piles and piles of red october tubes biggest order that we've ever seen from them just came in this week in fact i hope it'll even be all the way loaded on the website by the time you hear this but i'll do my best to get that done busy times for us we're super busy i told a story last week i just want to kind of make my intro a little bit brief but I don't, well, first off, I don't want anybody to ask how things are going anyways, but um, I got that bait from Duff last week. I, if you listen to last week's podcast, I had Duff, or Duff reached out to me, Duff Theory from Supernatural Big Baits, wanting to paint a bait for me in remembrance of my dad. And so he did, and I got the bait, and I had to debate whether or not I was going to fish it or I was going to just hold on to it and collect it. And I decided to fish it. So... I got out last Friday and got out fishing with my, my daughter, and I it was pretty flat, calm, and sunny. This bait necessarily wasn't exactly, like, number one choice for me. And so we're, you know, we're going along, and for me, it was I wanted to catch a fish on this bait, you know, for multiple reasons, but I also just wanted to catch a fish. I had my son and my daughter with me, and we took, you know, I essentially took the day off on Friday, to go up and fish with them and so I wanted to make it memorable for them and so I don't know we're in maybe hour and a half or two hours and I you know look over at my daughter and I'm like you know grandpa's baits it's getting borderline here and she's like nope don't worry about it grandpa's gonna come through 
And now whether or not I would have had the, uh, you know, I would have actually been able to pull it out of the water that day, I don't know. But I was just definitely, it, it was for me, it was about trying to put fish in the net. And so I'm going and I'm, I'm running a brake line and I make a turn out to a couple humps that him and I have bluegill fished on before. And we didn't get quite to the humps, but I ma- started to make that turn to go right out there. And it wasn't long after that and we got ripped. And my daughter put a 36 and a half inch muskie in the boat, biggest one she's ever she's ever caught. Typically, I wouldn't measure it, but I haven't ever measured one of her muskies yet because they've all been under 30. And I wanted to have her a benchmark of where we're where we're looking at. So I threw the bump board in the water. For anybody that doesn't know, a muskie bumper will absolutely float in the water. So you know, muskie bumpers got a great product. So it floats, and I want I had the the water temperatures were creeping up a little bit. I mean, we're talking 77 degrees or so. And I wanted to just do everything as quick as I could. So I threw the board down in the water and, you know, there's probably three quarters of an inch of water, half inch of water on there. And I was able to get a quick measurement, quick flop it over the side of the board and get it, you know, released as quick as I could. Took off like a rocket. And uh, I just have to tell you, you know, it's probably one of the most special fish I've ever got. It's been, it's been a rough summer to say the least. And it was, oh, you know, a bright moment. It was actually a teary eyed moment as well. I mean, getting that fish on my dad's bait and, you know, two and a half hours was, and making, having it at that point be my, my daughter's longest fish she's ever caught was something super special. So I just thought I'd share an update. If you, you know, are on our Instagram or Facebook, I have a picture of the fish in the net with the bait. Super cool. But anyways, that's about all I got this week. Like I said, if you're looking for gear, check out the two companies involved here. We obviously super appreciate all of our customers, all the support you guys have given us. I mean, the reason some of our podcasts have been, I'd say, a little more rushed lately is just because it's been uh, it's been a struggle to try to keep up with everything in uh, the summer. And I thought last summer was busy. This summer's busier yet. And I mean, but we we owe it all to you guys and girls, everybody that listens, everybody that shops with us. Everybody that supports us, watches a YouTube video, everything there. Like I said, we can't do it without you. And for that, we're extremely uh, thankful and grateful. So without any further ado, I'm going to dial up that conversation I had with Jeff Vandermortel, WDH Guide Service. All right. Our guest today, I say our guest, it's really my guest. Brad's gone. So I'm just a solo solo project and I'm talking with Jeff Vandermortel, WDH Guide Service out of Northern Wisconsin. Jeff, I know that you're you're cruising, you're on the road today, so you're going to have to deal with a little bit of road noise. This might not be our most cleanest episode we've ever done, but uh, Jeff, how yeah. are things going today? Good, man. Yeah, I apologize for that in advance, but on the road here, and uh, just getting off a day or two with the family here, and, and then uh, getting ready to get back to her, but it's been a great year. Things have been going great, my friend. I'm uh, happy to be back on. Yeah, well, if anybody is looking to know a little bit more about Jeff, if you're unfamiliar, if you've been living in a hole, let's see here. I think we haven't had Jeff on in a while. I know we had him on for episode 100. We did that one little short blurb there with Jeff. And then what do you think, Jeff? I think it's probably been about a year since you've been on for a full episode. Yeah, something like that. I think we did two-ish, two full episodes and then that 100th episode. And yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I haven't been on, I don't think, since the 100th. And that was the spring. Yep. Um, so yeah, no, good to be back. Hey, man. Yeah. Been so, listening, been listening to it when I can. And a lot of the people that come through my boat, which are a lot of big fans of the podcast and a lot of, a lot of long time TRO guy customers. And they all, uh, they all love it. So, well, I did reviews high end for it too. So you and Brad keep up the good work, man. And all the guests, everybody's been good. Really enjoyable. 
Thank you very much for that. So, uh, Jeff's like I said, it's kind of short notice with Jeff. Uh, Brad, Brad was supposed to come up with a guest for tonight, and Brad's fishing or doing something, or I think fishing. I think it's one of his last nights fishing, so he's running it late, and so he's like, I won't be off the water before nine, and I'm like, well, we we need something for Wednesday, so. I had Jeff on standby. Say, hey Jeff, if we don't do it this week, we'll do it, you know, real soon. And so Jeff was gracious enough to uh, to step in, and and uh, we really appreciate that, Jeff. But why don't you? You said the season's been getting off to a good start. Why don't you talk a little bit about the season? How you know, like, what's the presentation? Where's where these fish been at so far this season? And then we'll kind of talk about what to expect moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it all kind of seems like a whirlwind, right? When you're on the water every day, things just kind of, before you know it, you know, you find yourself looking back like right now, just, just even that question just kind of triggers the, holy cow, it's mid-July, you know? <laughs> it's going to be August before you know it, and before I, you know, Pat and I, I'm going to be back, uh, I'm the big water guy in ducks. So it's just one of those things where things move pretty fast. Um, but at the same time, our weather's been relatively stable pretty much all year, uh, at least up by us. I mean, we've had a few little storms, a few fronts and stuff, but a lot of high skies, a lot of sunny days. Um, but we've still been getting our bites and catching fish. I mean, putting hooks and fish just about every trip. And I, mean, I don't remember, only been a handful of days all season where we didn't put at least a fish in the boat. You know, sometimes you had maybe a morning trip and a night trip where you know, caught three with one and none with the other or something to that effect. But on that uh, 24 hour scale or the daylight to daylight, you know, dark to dark rather basis, it's been uh, fish in the boat just about every day except for maybe three or four days since, uh, since the opener. So. Uh, a couple of wild trips mixed in there as well, but mostly musties, and yeah, it's been good. The year started off uh, with that warm-up we had. I know everybody, that was a pretty hot topic discussion. Uh, we had water temps that kind of shot up to that low 80-degree range, but by us, I mean, the minute we got that bit of wind and did a cool down there, the water temps dropped somewhere between 8 and 11 degrees in less than 12 hours. Uh, so things things went back down quite quickly there. Everything kind of mixed up. We had no wind and now that you know, a little bit unseasonably hot weather there, which they call it an average for a reason. So, you know, I mean, it all kind of comes out in the wash. And then uh, after that, things pretty much settled into that. It's been pretty consistently that, you know, mid-70s, you know, depending on what water you're on, of course, and what time of day, but mid-70s all year. Weed growth was uh, exceptional. Uh, Sandgrass was lacking a bit yet, which is pretty normal, though, even in a even in a, you know, an early spring or something, it still kind of doesn't really get going and growing up until, you know, July, August is time frame. So that's still a little bit, well, I wouldn't say behind. It's on schedule. It's not quite all the way to peak yet, certainly, but it's on its way. Uh, and now as we transition from that, you know, that, uh, that pre-summer peak into this summer peak cycle where you get, like, by summer peak, I mean, I, I've heard people say that term before. I don't know if they think about it the same way that I'm saying it. Basically, when I say that, I mean, like, the system of peak, not necessarily, like, the apex of the fishes, um, regardless of species, their peak in terms of their activity level, more in terms of like cycle of that you look at like a spring, summer, fall that way. Whereas like summer peak would be water temperatures are at about as warm as they're going to get for the year, and their lakes are stratified. You've got weed growth at about its maximum. Stuff like your sand grass, your slower moving stuff is about getting there, or you know close to close to reaching its maximum or will in short order. And uh, and then you've got a lot of times some of those bigger fish coming down the feed and, and then some of the most predictable and easy-to-catch time frame of the year, in my opinion. So uh, that's kind of how we've lined up so far. Again, fishing consistent. Uh, it's been a mix of baits, but a lot of our stuff so far this season has been uh, a mix of blades. It's been a lot of bucktails this year. Uh, we hit the 60-fish mark somewhere around right July 1st. I think we go to 49. That was a nice one. And there's the first or third, somewhere in there, uh, right at the beginning of the month. Yeah, and, and we, we've been moving some really nice fish ever since as well. So, 
again, a lot of bucktails is here. Bucktails, SRJs, some stuff on Suic, some stuff on rubber, uh, a couple on Medusas, a couple on uh, some action on B2s. We lost one real big one on the B2. Uh, certainly some action on dogs. Uh, and then again, uh, stuff in that smaller, single and double bladed uh, stuff. Pandemonium, a little bit of musty mayhem. They did get a couple of fish on showgirls, uh, double showgirls. And, uh, and that similar size bucktails uh, throughout that realm as well, mixing and matching there between Flashaboo and Maraboo and Air and just kind of mixing and matching. Not that that, I don't think, makes terribly much difference, but. The Marabou's probably been one of the hotter of the of those uh, different types, I would say, as a whole for the season. Um, but a lot of natural colors and really nothing too crazy, man. It, it kind of seems like a lot of the fish, including the big fish, have been, at least up until about this week or so, been behaving like it's early season yet and, and eating a lot of those more reasonable-sized offerings with uh, an occasional fish, of course, on stuff like double tens and, uh, and big rubber as well. Well, Jeff, let's talk about big fish. You mentioned them a little bit. And it seems like I've seen more big fish so far this season than what you would in a typical season for northern Wisconsin. What's going on up there? It's just been good, man. I think I think part of it is, you know, social media, I think even just, you know, two years ago, you do see a lot more of those fish coming on board. Um, and maybe a little bit of it is just people take good pictures, I guess. But at the same time, like, we, it, the numbers reflect in our boat as well. Um, we've got, I think, nine, nine between 45 and 49 inches on the season so far. Um, all but one of those have been customer fish. I got uh, a 46 during the Muskie Hunter uh, school with, with um, those guys. But that was, other than that, that's the only big one that I personally caught. The rest were all customer caught fish and a couple of them first muskies. And again, a lot of it on some you know, simple jerk baits and, 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 and a variety of different blades, really. Um, so they've been eating the stuff that is what a lot of people throw. The month of June is always a good one for uh, action in general for muskies. And when you get a nice year, uh, especially compared to the last two years or so where we've had those delayed springs where it takes these fish a little bit longer to get off that spawn and, and kind of transition into that like pre-summer, summer peak time frame uh, where things get held back a little bit. A lot of times the larger specimens in the system are a little bit more difficult to contact and catch, especially for the average angler. So um, the guys that are really, really dialed and following those fish around that really know their lakes and know their fish are always going to be able to find those big fish. Um, but like I said, when, when they're biting stuff that most people are throwing and they're, and they're in the places where most people are fishing, it really makes it, uh, it makes it that much more frequent that those fish are going to get both caught and caught and encountered. Yeah, that makes sense. So are you, so you're basically, you're finding these fish in, in your typical areas that you would in during, you know, the, we'll call it the midsummer time period, I'm assuming. Is that correct? Yeah. Like now we'd be in like summer peak now, you know, mid July time frame through, you know, late August, and then you kind of go into your pre-turnover as soon as, at least by us, this is for like Northern Wisconsin. I mean, these, this, this type of a progression is something I've talked about stuff before. And it's, just, just, it's just how I break down things in my own brain and how it's, well, it's not really just how I do it. It is what it is. It is how things work. No different than the leaves turn in the fall. Like fish do a certain thing when the water does certain things or when the, you know, the photo periods get shorter. It's just, it's just what they do. Um, obviously a lot of gray area there, but it's just, uh, those, those patterns are noticeable, you know, and then you kind of have that, uh, that, that pre-turnover time frame, which I would equate to be like that early to mid-September up by us, basically Labor Day on, and that's going to be when you get to start those water, those cool downs, and you get a real big resurgence of fish with the real shallow weeds, uh, especially during those first cooling, and it's really uh, a time when those fish put the feed bag on for sure. All right, Jeff, well, and let's talk about, you know, upcoming time frame here for muskies. You know, we're looking at weather that looks like it's in that uh, probably around 80, I'm guessing, most of the time, at least, you know, in your area and most of Wisconsin, I'm guessing Minnesota is probably close to that. Where should guys be looking for muskies about this time of year? 
you know, this is, uh, you know, I would, I would, I would definitely say this is the time of year when a lot of your bigger fish become probably the easiest to catch in the system with maybe the exception of fall with a sucker. If you've got a good beat on one, you know, get them to eat meat can be a, a trigger as well, but certainly it's, it's one of the more predictable time frames. though. A lot of times you are throwing some larger baits. Um, definitely a time frame of the year when, when pounders and large rubber, large jerk baits, <clears throat> you know, magnum presentations, whether it be blades, jerk baits, whatever, definitely, definitely start to shine. Um, definitely seen a lot of, a lot less people throwing the big blades, at least up in Northern Wisconsin than years past. And a lot of the guys that are, you know, big fish hunters, you know, they, they understand that that tool doesn't ever really go away. It's just, it's just something that I think a lot of people used to throw a lot of, and you see a lot less of it now. It's like true tens or even supermodel size, you know, your, your magnum blades 10 on up. You don't really see people throwing that, but it's really an effective offering. I mean, you see some people, but the average guy is not, not throwing a lot of that anymore. Uh, and I, th- I think that's still one of those things that can really trigger fish, even though they might've got burned out on a little bit. Now you kind of see everybody throwing rubber. Um, it's kind of like the go-to thing for everybody, you know, all, all June here. It's, and, and, and it just hasn't, our rubber bite just hasn't been that good this year, quite frankly. It's only caught some fish on it, but I guess on the presentation side of things, you know, don't be afraid to, to go to the bigger stuff, but vice versa as well. If you're moving, throwing small stuff and it feels good, especially a nice juicy humid day with storms and moon and everything seems to be lining up and you're not moving fish or not moving any big fish, don't be afraid to go to those those magnum and super magnum presentations. Certainly, this is definitely the time of year to be throwing that stuff. Um, you can catch them anytime on it, but from here till fall is is really a, a prime time to be throwing that. And if, just like in any time of year, you, you know the deeper weed edges become a lot more of a hangout in those nice predictable main lake weed points or over sand grass. Uh, a lot of times this is the time of year where those fish, that, that type of a pattern shines, uh, and it will until the things start to cool down and the fish will transition a bit more shallow. Um, but look for them to move shallow uh, and use the weeds also when you do get a cool down in between here. Uh, we're notorious in northern Wisconsin for getting a cool down that first week of August or so. It's, um, it usually seems to come between about, like, say, the 5th and the 18th there, that first, second week time frame there. Every year is a little different. Some years you're, you're bundled up and, and wearing three, four layers. Other years it's still 90 degrees and then it, then it falls off. But it almost always seems to come where we get a little cool down with highs in, say, the 60s. Uh, and when that happens, that can be – that's one of my favorite things, at least for the first day or two of it. Um, again, a lot of those fish that are either shallow and activate or fish that are using the deeper edges and move up shallower and then become active – uh, it can be a really tremendous time frame. And then your big top water really seems to shine there too. Again, with the Magnum presentations this time of year, here on out, super, super big top water, like a Cannonball Junior, for example, are great options. Um, you will lose some fish on some of that bigger stuff uh, just because it's a lot harder to keep stuff like a 38-inch or pinned on that. Not just that bait specifically, but a larger bait in general. Um, bigger bait, more weight, more leverage for the fish to shake, and especially if they are able to jump and, and get their head out of the water. But it will get them to eat and, and some of the largest uh, specimens in the system will, will key in on that and it will be a, a trigger for them versus a, a non-starter. It'll definitely be something that they key in on versus a smaller offering in many, op- in many occasions. Well, it's kind of interesting. You're talking about bigger options and how, you know, I would say it's almost cyclical how this all works with musky fishing, how everyone is throwing them. Everybody was throwing pounders. Everybody was throwing double tens and now how they, how they aren't doing it. You can definitely set yourself apart if you're one of those that are throwing those types of baits right now. Yeah, for sure. And again, as soon as those fish start getting, you know, they start inhabiting those deeper weed edges and stuff. Again, you can catch them on opening day. We talked about this before. One of my best years, one of my best days ever in the water was an opening day throwing magnum rubber and, you know, pounded fish, including, you know, three, three really big ones. But, you know, so there's any time of year, it is an option. Absolutely. But, uh, I do think a lot of people still, I get asked this question a lot in the boat. They think it's just a fall option. Um, I think a lot of it kind of delves back to, 
a lot of the articles that were written about that stuff, at least early on, that were in kind of the formative years of that, were, were written by guys that were from Minnesota or doing fishing Minnesota when that was the more predominant tactic, uh, or maybe Canadian Shield Lake stuff like that. But it just it's been prevalent here in northern Wisconsin for quite some time now. It's certainly not a new idea to throw big rubber in the summer, but it's uh, it's still something that's a common misconception for just the average angler out there that has you know read articles and maybe not personally gone with a guide or experienced it themselves. So Jeff, I'm assuming, well, let's talk first off a little bit about, you talked about those, those cooler, those cooler days in August, you know, how you get those cooler temperatures will drop down to the sixties. Lately, we've been seeing that. I, I think you've probably been seeing it occasionally up in Northern Wisconsin. You'll get those warm days and you'll get that cold front that's actually helped keep the water temperatures into a more manageable level. How's the fishing been through those cold fronts? Has it still been pretty solid? You know, I, it's one of the things that kind of drives me nuts. And I think it, it goes to, there's another one of those misconceptions, right? That cold fronts are bad. Now I've been on both sides of it. I've been, I fished up in Canada um, and seen what a cold front can do to a really good bucktail bite on stuff like Eagle or Lake of the Woods. Um, and I've only spent a minimal amount of time up there, you know, maybe two, three weeks total of my life in general between all the couple of trips I've taken there. But I've seen it both ways where that hot, sticky, windy, um, you know, real juicy summer weather with, you know, kind of stormy type weather that you'd equate with, the, you know, dog days of summer when fish are hot. Um, we're not dog days, really the, those peak summer days when fish are really aggressive, especially in those types of waters where they're chasing blades or going nuts, coming into the figure eight, crushing top water, doing, doing all sorts of wild things. And then you get a cold front where the water temperatures drop, it's cloudy. And, you know, maybe the first day of that, while the water temps are holding out, those fish are still on that heavy wind rock, we, you know, or even weeds or whatever, that heavy program like that, where they're feeding pretty well. And then after that, it seems to subside and the bites turn into follows. And then you're, you're more going to a jerk bait approach, whether it be a minnow bait or a rubber or a suic or something along that line. But conversely, in northern Wisconsin, at least on many of our lakes in northern Wisconsin, I would not say all, I think it certainly is going to depend on how you fish and what type of water you're fishing. And in northern Wisconsin, that says a lot because our lakes are so diverse. You could be on Lake A and get your butt kicked and be on Lake B and catch six uh, in that same kind of weather. So that is, a, as a, is kind of an asterisk there. I would say that cold fronts in general are some pretty exceptional fishing by us, oftentimes some of the best of the year. Uh, it, it really activates those shallower fish on the blades, topwater program, and even jerk baits. And, and just in general, those fish seem to come out of the woodwork, especially after a prolonged period of heat. Um, we had one day earlier this year here where uh, it, we had just exactly that hooked, I don't know, four, five, six, eight fish, whatever it was. It was a pile of fish. We only landed one, but between the two trips that day, we put out a bunch of fish. And that was in that, you know, that cloudy weather where you kind of look outside and you're just like, ugh. You know, probably a good walleye day, right? You know, walleyes like that stuff, especially in summer too, that cloudier days, heavy wind, or at least a good walleye chop. And typically that makes for some pretty easy pickings for walleyes, certainly. But muskies, I think a lot of people kind of equate that. Oh, the water temp is dropping and air temp's only 50 today. And it's like, but if it's been 85 for a couple days before that, I, I'm salivating, man. I think that, that's that's a five-fish day. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a banger. So... Again, it might be, you know, relative to what lake you fish, what how you're fishing it, like what style. You know, the last thing I'm doing on a day like that is out fishing the basin or trolling. And I'm not saying you couldn't catch a fish that way, but a lot of the hot stuff is up, you know, up in the weeds and up in the heavier cover where those fish have been buried and hanging out. And now they're all coming out to play. So it's one of those things to consider, certainly, when you look outside and it's not the most comfortable to fish in maybe, but and then, then kind of the happy medium there that's probably the best conditions of all those that lines up that way is going to be when you're in your rain gear and you're sweating, you know. When it's 70 degrees and raining, you need to be on the water, right? That's your moneymaker. That might be the day. Because a lot of times with our big, biggest fish in the system in particular, 
you know, and even anything over 45, really, like, it can certainly be caught anytime. But if you really look at the largest fish in the system, there's really only a couple of days a month, at least in my opinion, that those fish are truly, truly accessible when they're amped up enough to chase down a bait where your odds are big enough of getting that bait in front of that fish close enough to that fish that's going to activate, chase down and eat that bait without having to come to the boat and break off. Or, you know, when the stars kind of align and, and it happens a couple times a month, it seems like it's not always around a moon phase, but a lot of times it is. And uh, it, it, if you get the weather and the moon lining up and it's just one of those things that seems to kind of happen, you talked about a cyc cyclicality and nature of bait throwing. There's certainly a cycle in terms of when big fish just kind of seem to come out of the woodwork for a day or three, all of a sudden you're, you know, something as simple as your Facebook feed is blowing up. Like, oh man, he got a 45. Oh, you got a 50. He got a 48, whatever. You know, there's a lot of people or a league or a tournament. All of a sudden you get these days where, where, where the, where the board's filling up and there's a lot of fish being caught, including big ones. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it kind of shuts off and those fish go and say they go dormant, but it just gets, you know, musky fishing turns back to musky fishing again. The, the easy money's been made as they say. So let's talk a couple of things. I know you talked, um, lake changes. That's one thing, that's one topic we bring up often with you because I know that, you know, you have obviously an abundance of lakes to choose from. Like during this time period, is there a certain water that you're looking for? Is it, or is it all pretty solid? I mean, are you finding clear water better than dark water or vice versa in this time period? You know, a lot of times you're going to find those lakes fire off at different times. I would say you're probably better off going to some of the larger lakes right now than you would be some of the smaller lakes. Um, that being said, it's not to say you still, still can't catch big fish on stained shallow water. You know, some of your early season favorites, maybe, maybe look at it this way. You know, you've got your early season favorites and then, uh, they kind of seem to lose their luster. Whereas like, if you go to some of the other lakes that are maybe lakes you like, but not your favorite early season, that might be the next lake to try, I guess, to put it as simply as possible. Um, because those, those, those summer peak type conditions happen earlier in a smaller body of water or a stained body of water than they do in a big body of water. So trying to hit that nail on the head each time as things progress is is about is one of the main strategies I use. And then trying to time that all in with what conditions are good on this lake and what conditions seem to be good on this lake. It again comes with, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of hours on the water and, and a lot of experience doing it, certainly. But it's also common sense. and You can put that together fairly regularly as long as you've got a, a small enough and manageable enough lake group as, a, as an individual angler that you're you know, intimately familiar with. Let me kind of throw a scenario at you. Somebody's coming up for the weekend. They've hardly been up to northern Wisconsin. There's obviously whatever, 50, 80, 100, 200, 700 lakes to choose from. I don't even know. There's a bunch. What kind of advice would you give them to try to choose? I mean, would you have them jump lake to lake to lake? Or are you going to have them try to pick a couple lakes to, to uh, narrow their search down? Like what kind of advice could you give somebody looking uh, to uh, put a couple of fish up in, in their boat? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you really want to look at is what the weather's been leading up to your time frame there, right? If you don't know anything about what the conditions have been for the previous week, then it's going to be really hard to know what to do for the next two, three days, you know, based on the current weather forecast. And don't get too hung up on watching it. You know, you know you're going up north, say, next Friday, and you're watching it, it's Monday, right? So you're just like, oh, you know, watch it every day, and that's fine. But don't get too hung up on that, because especially up by us, it changes on a dime. The wind changes directions, changes speeds. Oh, it's not supposed to rain. Now it is, and vice versa, and long story short we know that the weatherman can be wrong a lot so don't 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 get too don't lose too much sleep on that but i would say to pay attention to you know how things are lining easily up to your trip that is one thing that you can't you can go back and look at but if you watch it you know it's been a high of 75 with no clouds and sunny for tuesday wednesday and thursday well those types of days you're probably only getting a couple bites there's there's some pretty good examples of when that's not the case certainly there are outliers but in general especially this time of year those tend to be tougher days to fish and then you want to pick out, you know, your windows and, and, and find your, your, your moon 
for morning, moon for afternoon or evening or whatever times they happen to fall, but also try to be on the water kind of at that midday if you get a little bit of wind pickup. Um, when those day clouds arrive at that 10, 11, 12 o'clock time frame, there's almost always a window that opens up as well, especially in those sunny days. It doesn't have to be a lot, but you get the little cloud bank showing up on the horizon and oftentimes you get a bite or two around that, especially if moon coincides with it or a wind switch. Um, so stuff like that, kind of just picking apart those little differences like that. But at the same time, just plan to go well-rested, well-caffeinated, well-caloried, and, and put in as much time as you can and, and try to spend as much time on the water as you can. That's really one of the better advice pieces I can give you. I, I get people in the boat that say all the time, you know, you know, especially after five, six hours, if we haven't caught a fish yet on a full day, you know, eight hour plus trip. And, you know, they're like, well, the reason we always seem to catch fish with you is because we, we would have quit three hours ago, you know, and that's something that I think a lot of people fall into, especially when you've got limited time and vacation, you know, and musky fishing, it can be work, right? I mean, let's face it. It's, it's not something that everybody enjoys doing for 12 hours a day. Some of us do, some of us don't. And even the ones of us that do, there's certain days we don't. So, Come in with a clear mind and, and don't don't be discouraged if you don't succeed right away. I mean, musky fishing, it's been said many times, but it, it really is a war of attrition. You know, you have to you have to stick with it. Um, that being said, pay attention again to those to those conditions going into the weekend and then try to figure out, you know, where where would I have fished on those days, you know, on the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, say, and then, you know, that can help you if the weather changes. You can you know augment your strategy and go somewhere else Saturday, Sunday, or probably more appropriately, go where you think will be best. Try it out if you're not succeeding and having luck, especially if you're somebody who's caught quite a few fish out of that system or a similar system where you've got a lot of confidence in what you're doing, then maybe you switch systems. For me, if I fish through a moon phase and we don't put a fish in the boat or at least, well, a fish in the boat, I guess is a relative term because I get a lot of people who are, it's their first time, right? You get one that, a 45 that comes in and tries to eat at the boat and we don't land it and it's somebody who just picked up a musky rod 20 minutes ago, I'm not going to really count that the same as a no fish day for fishing eight hours and having five lazy follows, right? That's not really the same thing. It's, it's not apples to apples on paper like that. So gauge the fish's activity level. Sometimes the dice just don't roll your way. You know, you lose two, three fish. Yeah. Somebody asks how you did and you say, I've got zero. It doesn't sound as good, but the fish were moving. The opportunities were had. So keep track of more of the bites that you find versus actual fish in the bag is probably your better indicator and use that to gauge, you know, the level of fish aggressive, you know, the, 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 what the fish are up to versus actual fish in the net. Um, but if you're not moving those fish and having those opportunities and you fish, you know, a couple hours before a moon or through a weather change or before a weather change and then through it. And then in the period, you know, the hour or so after you still have not had much for success. One of two things, either one, I'm usually going to switch lakes for me, from a guiding perspective, it's nice because I'll switch and it gives my customers, it's usually kind of a middle of the day type deal, gives them a you know, half hour, 45 minutes in a car with air conditioning and get some food in them and you get to a new lake and it's amazing how the demeanor changes. Even for guys that are really good fishermen, just new lake, new day, it's a really good strategy and that can work for yourself as well. Going in fresh is, uh, is a great thing to do. Um, but that also will give you a better idea of what's going on too. If you And I wouldn't go to like, if you're fishing a lake that's got a 10 foot weed line, has a green algae bloom and is say 600 acres or 500 acres i would not go to another lake with a green algae bloom 10 foot weed line that is 500 acres right if you did not have success in the other one um, i would probably go and switch it up to try something either you know say it's a cool down maybe i go somewhere stained with thick cabbage that has a five or six foot weed line and go there instead for the next moon phase Again, there's a lot of variables to that i know somebody many people listening to that could say well i could tell you a time when that didn't happen and i could probably tell you a hundred but as a rule of thumb that's that's a good way to look at it 
Um, there is also something to be said for figuring out which moon is the hot moon. And that's kind of what we're in right now. Um, this time of year, you're going to find a moon phase a lot of times. If, if you're out every day, all day, especially running doubles and you're on the water, whether you want to be or not, and you get that activity, sometimes you just find that, you know, your midday moon, whether it be overhead, underfoot, set, rise, whatever it is, you just find that they're moving during that one. And, you know, say it's at one o'clock today and the weather was stable all day. Well, tomorrow it's at two o'clock. And they, they're on fire moving heavy during the middle of the day uh, tomorrow. But the evening moon at, you know, say 8 or 9 or whatever it ends up occurring, or 7, 8, whatever it would occur on that cycle, they don't really move very much. You get a couple falls, they don't eat. You know, and I'm talking in like that stable weather, which is probably the toughest. When the storms are coming and the winds blow in and everything's juicy, anybody can catch fish. That's not a hard time. The hard time is when the windows are tight, which is a lot of the days, and the muskies are, you know, they can really make you feel like a fool. So pay attention to that stuff. And if you do find like you fish all day on day one and you know, the moon in the afternoon was the hot moon. A lot of times they will follow that. And many times they'll follow it into the dark. Um, this is another time of year. I would say for me, our neck of the woods up North July 15th would be about the kickoff for night fishing in a hot year like this. I'd say July 4th could even be about that kickoff. It seems to be, there's a, a change that goes underway. Um, whether it's boat traffic related, just photo period related, sometime around like july 4th to 15th a lot of the night bite stuff starts to pick up um admittedly i don't fish after dark near as much as i used to but i used to fish after dark a lot um personally right now with clients as much i've done a number of after dark trips but that is another thing to look for too if you're on lakes that you have a lot of confidence in and you're not catching fish i mean i've had a number of times with customers where this has been the case we're out during the day because that's when our trip is and it's like, man, everything felt right. We're, I know we're here. I'm seeing them on the electronics. I know that they're here. I know where they should be, and they just don't want to move, or they come in lazy. A lot of times that suggests to me a night bite, especially on a lake that's got high boat traffic or clear water or any of the things that you would typically associate with a night bite. I'm probably not going out and night fishing something that's got two foot of visibility. Most of the time, it's something that's got a, a fair bit of clearness to it. You know, a good four or five, six plus feet of visibility um, would certainly fit the bill more so than something that's ultra stained, though I'm sure there could be night bites on that. I haven't spent a lot of time fishing those, but they definitely will bite at night there too. But your predominantly good night bite lakes tend to be those clearer lakes, and this can be the time of year to start augmenting your schedule and doing that. Another thing with that, it also helps you avoid the boat traffic. Again, a lot of the cliche stuff that you've, I'm sure, heard a lot of times, oh, fish at night, you'll have the lake to yourself. It's 100% true. And a lot of times this time of year, especially those big fish, as they're coming into a predictable pattern, um, that night, that night bite is, is the be all end all. If you are an individual angler with a flexible schedule, start taking that into consideration and don't just fish till 10 o'clock. I mean, if moon's at 1130, fish till 1230, moon's at midnight, fish till one. If you can, again, that's asking a lot. I get that. Or conversely, if moon is at 4am, you know, try getting out there early. Uh, and these warm spells like this, I have in the past with customers, um, when the temperatures, including last year during a couple of the days, and then it did get too hot and last year I did end up canceling some trips because the water temperatures were quite warm, but we went and fished some of the, you know, deepest water around the hardest water around. We'd meet at 2 AM and we'd be done by 8 AM and we lost probably one of the biggest fish. We didn't get a great look at it, but I know what was there and I know it was a big one and it was one of the bigger fish we've probably ever hooked in Northern Wisconsin without having gotten a great look at it. He caught a 38 inch pike, a few casts before that. And then he hooked this fish. Uh, that was on, a. I was on a mag dog, I believe. I was on a mag dog, um, ripping over a deep hump. And and that was five years I fished that spot before I, you know, during prime conditions, five years I fished that spot without getting a bite, but just kind of always like on this water, I know that this has to be a spot. There has to be one that uses it. And it just so happens that 
last year around 4th of July, that's when that one bit. So, uh, or one that I finally came in contact with it. And it was, it was a big fish. We did see it somewhat, but you could see it was ultra wide. You could see it was ultra long. I don't know exactly how big, but it was a very big fish. And again, we were off the water by 8 a.m. That was at about probably 6.30 in the morning. And I think moon was at like 6.45 or 6.42. I remember it being a handful of minutes before moon. And those were the only two bites we got. Um, but again, we augmented our schedule to fit the weather. It was supposed to be 95 flat calm or 92 flat calm, just a miserable, sunny, cloudless day. And my guys were not up for that. And I didn't really feel like fishing either. And it was one of those things where obviously midsummer, you get that not best to be out in the water midday anyway. So we augmented our schedule. We fished into the, you know, fished early in the morning and the water temps were at their coolest and got our work done and got out of there. So another thing that if you've got a flexible schedule, think outside the box a little bit, go in and put in the time. And if you really want to be on the water and make use of your time when it gets like that and super hot, it's a great time to go out and start graphing. You know, it might not be the most comfortable, but at least you don't have to cast in it. Super sticky, muggy, you know, nasty. Even if the water temps are high and you want to make use of your time up there, doesn't mean you have to go fishing, man. Go out and put in some legwork, especially at summer peak when all the weed lines are fully defined. That's a great time to go and learn some new water that you don't already know, especially some of the biggest, toughest water around. You know, go out there, use it to your advantage, put in a couple hours midday and get that stuff GPS and dialed in, get a good look at it, and then come back and fish it, you know, in the evening and well into dark or come at or all night or come out in the morning uh, super, super early and, and fish it in those, those early morning uh, pre-dawn hours. Well, Jeff, you mentioned a couple things there that got me thinking. So you, you brought up moon, and I was glad you did because that was one of my questions. So this Friday, I think we're looking at full moon on Friday. If you're looking to get out night fishing, what's your thoughts on full moon night fishing? Um, you know, so full moon, I've caught fish when the moon is up. I've caught fish when the moon is down. I would say as a whole, in my boat, in my experience, I do prefer the moon to be below the horizon. That doesn't mean I don't like the full moon period. I actually love the full moon period. But I do find that my best and biggest bites will come before the moon is up. So if moon rises at 11, that's definitely a night I'm logging, you know, if I can, or if, again, all things being equal, I'm not guiding it and just put in a 14-hour days and have a wife and three kids to get home to. You know, as a musky fisherman, strictly speaking, that is a time I'm staying out well until after that moon comes up and chasing a big fish. Um, again, especially this time of year when that bite does transition to the night. Um, it's also an opportunity, one like that, where you do get that, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock moonrise, those couple days after the full moon. It really can translate into, again, some, some of the best fishing and the best time to catch a big fish of the season, uh, especially if it's one you've seen during the day. You know, you get that lazy follow during the day. That's, that's a lot of times when you're going to be able to get that fish to convert. They make more mistakes when it's dark. Still understand you're chasing a low-density critter that's probably been around for 20 to 25-plus years, so it can be still very tough to convert them, but that is a, a, a narrow window when they will make a mistake. Going back to my earlier point about there's only a couple of days a month when those fish really seem to be reasonably accessible. Um, you know, in terms of, it's not like they eat every day, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, a, a 50 inch muskie in Northern Wisconsin is probably not on the feed heavily every day. I would not, I would not think anybody's making that argument, but that's a good window in which to go and target a specific big fish um, or a big fish water or a, you know, a big fish spot or something. You want to be in a prime spot during that time. Let's put it that way. And then for night fishing, Jeff, you got preference on colors. Does it matter much for night or for night fishing? What's your, you know, what's your opinion? Honestly, I've done well on black. I've done well on black and silver. I've done well on, you know, any combination of white. If I had to pick one thing, it, it'd be the boring old straight black or black, you know, black on black for bucktail or black and nickel. No black and silver, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, for top water, you know, it's kind of funny. I fished with John Klocheski a number of years ago, and we fished together a couple times over the years. But this one time in particular, we did night fish. And it was on some relatively dark water. It wasn't something that I typically night fish, but we did catch a couple of fish. We landed two or three fish and lost a, lost a, I lost a real big one during the day. 
Um, one of uh, it was a fifty plus. I would say and we had landed some big fish that week, and that was it was a very large fish. We were both pretty blown away by it for for our area. That was a very nice fish. And that fish was on double tens during the day. That was actually another to that full moon point. Um, when you do have the full moon in summer, uh, the two times when I, your best windows are going to be midday moon is key. Uh, you want to be on the water for midday moon in summer, uh, even though it might not be the most conducive boat traffic wise or the most pleasant to be. Again, assuming you're not fishing in Madison and it's, you know, 87 degree water or something like that. Again, that's common sense. But that being said, midday moon, your moon underfoot rather would be a time you want to be on the water. I've caught a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of big fish at moon underfoot during peak summertime, even on a cloudless, hot, miserable, gross day uh, without storms, without any of that. That one window is one you want to be out for. And then again, of course, that moonrise, when it, especially when it gets, when it coincides with sunset, but also when it gets to be an hour or two after, it kind of gives you that window between when the sun goes down and then that like first dark period and it kind of lets things juice up for a night bite. You know, the, the bigger fish that are going to be taking advantage of that night bite and they kind of position on their spots or move up and, and kind of flip the active switch it coincides with that and that can be a great trigger for them but anyway get back to that story I, I was throwing all black on top water honestly up until that that moment i was pretty convinced that it really never mattered on color after dark for top water and i'm still not terribly convinced that it's a the be all end all for sure i mean when in doubt go black for sure but um john outfished me and had several other bites uh he felt fish me i think two to one and uh and the one i caught was after i switched to a white top water i think it was like arctic loon or something like that uh it was one of their black all white with some orange trim or all white with some chartreuse trim i can't remember which but we were, we were throwing both of those and uh he was having a significantly higher level action on it than i was on my straight black that was one of the first you know original uh dr evils this was quite a few years ago and uh my first batch or two of that was perfectly tuned i mean everything was right it wasn't like one just had a better vibration or that it was this was like my money maker and you know i, I changed up to one of his he's like yeah throw, try a white one and i did and i caught a fish like 30 minutes later so i don't know take from that what you will but i, I wouldn't i wouldn't rule it out but at the same time um sometimes it can actually be nice you know top water is a bit of an, an exception um simply because you can uh, often see it coming in obviously in the dark you know it's it's, it's making a wake up top but adding something with a little bit of white on it uh, for after dark can be nice for visibility, especially under a full moon when you've got a little bit of ambient light. Um, you can see that bait coming in and you don't have to worry about using a glow bead or running it into the rod tip. You fish a lot. That's not a huge concern because you'll, you know, you'll kind of, you can tell where your bait is when you, when you get it close to the boat, but uh, a little bit of a cheat there to have something with a little bit of white on it or run all white for that matter. Uh, but black would be my standard. And I think that's probably across the board, what most people would say as well. And then for your night fishing, you know, I'd say like retrieve, speed, whatever, are you definitely about about slowing it down fishing at night? Yeah, that's pretty common too. Again, I would agree. Yep. And that's, I don't have anything fancy or special there. Slow it down a little less. Um, you can catch them, of course, straight reel and big rubber after dark. That's actually pretty tremendous. Maybe put a, a dozer blade on the front of something like a Dusa or a dog um, or, or, you know, some sort of annoying, you know, chatterbait blade or something like that in front um, of, a, of, of a rubber bait. Uh, to give it a little bit more vibration and slow roll it. You know, that big profile still moves a ton of water. You can add in little pops and hops, certainly if you're just throwing straight rubber or even if you have something like uh, uh, like the Revolution Blades that, that Kramer had for a while there. I don't, I'm not sure if those are still around for the to get the, the attachments there, but i got a bunch of those that I've used as well. Um, I had some action on those. Uh, swim baits can be another good option. You can slow roll stuff like your uh, Poseidons and, uh, and swimming dogs as well. Again, I would go with the Magnum offerings in these situations. Uh, and maybe even upsize the hooks, uh, depending on what you're getting. But go with the Magnum offerings there because you're on a 
make make a big wake and make a big uh, make a big disturbance in the water. A nice slow slow fat juicy target form is is often better. You have a lot less misses on baits, and they tend to be able to tee up and square up on that bait, get a little bit better hookup chances. I would reiterate the point: don't don't shy away from the night fishing, especially. I mean, there's so much good information out here now, and you hear about it talked about a fair bit, but honestly, as much as I'm out, it's so rare that I see anybody doing it. I mean, every once in a while, I'll be coming off the water, and there'll be somebody launching, and you're like, that guy gets it, you know? But really, if you can do it, especially if you're a younger guy, you know, you know, 18, 20, 25, 30 years old, you don't got a ton of you know other stuff that's weighing you down that you can just go out and fish like that if it's in your schedule, try it out, man, or anybody. I'd encourage anybody to do it, but it's really something that if you haven't done a lot of, it can really produce a lot of fish. You just have to remember that when you're fishing at, you know, it's like a Yogi Bearism, right? I've said this, I don't know, a couple of years ago and we, we talked about it and had a good laugh, but fishing at night is just like fishing during the day, except it's harder to see, right? You get times when they bite, you have windows that open up. Just because you fished an hour or two in the dark does not mean that you automatically should have caught a fish and that, oh, the night fishing must not work on this lake. It's absolutely not how it is at all. That's the same as launching your boat at seven, fishing till nine and saying, there's no fish here. It doesn't work that way at all. The more you fish after dark, the more you'll understand the only difference really is the absence of light. It's There's still windows around moon. There's still windows around a wind change. There's still windows around, you know, any kind of a weather shift. Um, so so really, really pay attention to that stuff as well. Just because it's dark doesn't automatically mean the fish bite. Okay, so you still have to dial in your windows. Well, Jeff, I, I think you gave everybody a good glimpse on, uh, you know, night fishing. Actually, it wasn't really necessarily our topic of choice tonight, but it certainly worked out. If anybody's looking to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can go about doing that? Yeah, you can give me a call. I'm pretty full for the summer here, and anybody listening to us that I haven't gotten back to or one form or another, I apologize. It's been, been pretty slammed on the on the communication end there, but I'm trying to get back to everybody at the very least. And uh, 920-639-6286 on the phone number, and then you can find me on social media, Jeff Van Remortal or Wisconsin Musky with a Y, fishingguide.com, the name of my business, WDH Guide Service. And again, Jeff Van Remortal, uh, Facebook, Instagram, you can find me on there. Uh, no problem. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your schedule. I know you're super busy, as I can hear you. I mean, you're driving around, getting things, getting things done yeah. yet, still running yeah, trips and everything. Again, I'm glad we were able to work it in, though, man. Good to hear, good to hear from you, and uh, great to talk muskies as always. Absolutely. We just want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in every single week, and we'll see everybody again next week.